This is the Starting Why Podcast. Here we ask entrepreneurs, actors, investors, innovative, and artists on the why. Why they are doing what they are doing, what motivates and drives them, and why can't they stop. We will start in five, four, three, two, one. Hey folks, this is Joe and you are listening to the Starting Why podcast. I am very happy to welcome another entrepreneur, this time from Berlin here. Hey Alex, how you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Hey Joe, how are you? I have to admit I'm a little bit nervous because we talked before the interview and what you do with your recruiting is very exciting because when people uh, when you invite them to the first interview, actually what you do is you send them over a podcast so they can learn something about a company. And you told me you don't have anything in English yet. So this is going to be your English recruiting podcast. So we have to make you shine bright and great. <laughs> That's the idea today. Yeah, exactly. Great. So let's see if we get some awesome takeouts. <laughs> so. As always, I've been looking at your LinkedIn profile and the people who are curious can go down here in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. This is an audio-only podcast, just out of habit of my other podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, you can go down in the show notes. There will be a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can even have a look what the founder and CEO of Solar has been doing before. And we just try to make it clear this is like solar but instead of an s it starts with a set so it should be something like solar how do you pronounce it yeah that's we we actually left that when we came up with the name we actually left it up uh, for interpretation so people depending on where they come from they pronounce it differently uh, at the end of the, of the day it's important to transmit of, of what we're doing and we're big advocate we're big pusher of solar energy that is good. But take us a little bit along your entrepreneurship journey, what you've done before and how you ended up with a solar company based in Berlin. I've seen you attended technical university and you did something. I'm not sure you know a lot outside of Germany. You did a degree called Wirtschaftsingenieur, which basically means that you have a dual major in business and in engineering. What did you do there and what did you learn? Yeah, so I did, I guess the translation would be somewhat industrial engineer. And uh, I think it, when I started it, it was a lack of making a decision what I actually wanted to become. There's there's people that are excited to become doctors or they become, uh, you know, teachers and stuff like that. And as an industrial engineer, you, you're half engineer, you're half business person. You're not really a business person, but you're not also not really an engineer. And so for me, this was perfect because I'm, I'm always curious to learn and to learn different things. And what I did as a master or, or as a specification, it was finance and uh, controlling on the business side. But then on the on the engineering side, I did energy. And I actually learned a lot about nuclear energy, coal-fired energy, uh, gas turbines, like the good old world of fossil energy. So that this was my education. And that basically turned you off so much that you decided you're not going to do this at all in the future, right? 
Well, uh, you could look at it this, this way. So education in, in Germany, especially university education, is for free. So I could say I waste the tax money on, on teaching me something that I would n never use in life. Because actually, while I was working in the university, I, was, I also started working for a solar company. And times are changing, right? So 15 years ago, fossil energy was still the way to go uh, in order to produce energy. But, but over the last decade, we, we all have learned that due to climate change, we need alternatives and uh, that's why why I started to work in a solar company and learned the basics of solar energy uh, how, how a module is produced how you create energy and uh, so times have really changed and I was lucky enough to start working very early in this exciting industry we may add for the audience that uh, Germany has a renewable energies law that has been modified quite extensively since. But basically, the idea of Chancellor Schröder was to have a law that subsidizes renewable energies and the money for the subsidies comes from the consumer of the energy. That's the basic idea. And so that led to a big boom in renewable energies, I would say, starting sometime around the early 2000s and made Germany a real powerhouse in renewable energy producers, companies, windmills, uh, solar, and so on and so forth. Admittedly, not all of this state, I do believe, especially solar panels are right now barely produced in Germany anymore, but a lot of the know-how is still here. What really made me curious was you worked for something like three and a half years in a solar company. I assume somewhere around Dresden, where you went to university, by the way, a beautiful city. And then for whatever reason, you just started in Toronto because that makes me curious for several reasons. First, uh, why Canada? When you look across the Atlantic here from Germany, it's usually the US. And secondly, was it really a solar company in Canada? And can you actually do this really efficiently in Canada? Yeah, that's a really good question. So yeah, I finished up university in, in 2009 and then worked another year in Dresden for this for the solar company. And the real reason why I went to Canada is that after university, my English was pretty bad. And so <laughs> I realized that if you want to be successful in your career or in life, you have to speak good English, right? So yeah, I basically applied uh, for a company and they opened up a new office in Toronto and because they wanted to build up a factory, a solar uh, module production uh, factory in Toronto and that's exactly what I did so I went over there I was the first employee over there and uh, my boss was a former uh, CIO from uh, Siemens Asia and so we built up this factory in Toronto started to produce modules and to answer the second part of your question a lot of people perceive Canada as if you think of Canada you think of like cold and you think of reindeers and you think of you know a really harsh winter which which is absolutely true, but actually Toronto is on the latitude of uh, Rome or uh, northern Spain, right? So the sunlight Ontario gets is actually 40% more than the sunlight that we have in Germany. So actually putting solar in Ontario makes a ton of sense. And uh, that's what we were doing with a lot of project development at the time. We're driving around in, in Ontario. I got to know Ontario really well, uh, all the, the backcountry, the 
sc uh, we were scouting uh, areas where we could place uh, solar module farms and um, it was a really exciting time and I started to love uh, Canadians and, and in hindsight I was happy not to go to the US as much as I loved the US as well. Very interesting story. I'm a little bit curious when you first set foot in Canada as the first employee of this company there. How did it feel and what was like your first tasks? Did you actually have to find an apartment? Did you have to find office space? What was it like to actually start there completely new? That's uh, yeah, that's a good question. So w Canadians always say, "Oh, you're fresh off the boat." Uh, that's that's actually an expression. So if you if you're new to Canada, they use that you're fresh off the boat as as if we we're still in like 1910 or something. We took the Titanic to get to Canada, and so. But what this country has, they're really welcoming to to foreigners, right? And especially for some reason, also to Germans, they're really open-minded and really curious and want to learn, and they'll help you to get settled. And so for me, actually, to to integrate in, into the Toronto scene was, was quite easy, I would say, in hindsight. And I remember the first job, which was way out of my uh, comfort zone, was we were at a trade show and we were handing out uh, business cards and made contacts of stuff and uh, collected business cards. And then afterwards, I had to call up these people. And so my English at that time was still really crappy. And I, I remember really uh, almost <laughs> shitting my pants to call up these people and uh, trying to sell them solar modules and but it's a good learning and uh, eventually we come uh, we came through and uh, we, we sold um, solar modules to people but that's that's how we just did it we just started i actually also heard that canada is very welcoming to foreign business admittedly i lived in the states for approximately a year for my senior year in college but i never set foot in Canada, even though I have relatives there. So at one point, I really, really need to visit. Uh, what is the best time to visit? Uh, is it like spring when everything is blossoming up? Or is it fall when you have this uh, Indian summer where all the foliage turns uh, those shades of red and orange and brown? I mean, Canada is, is so huge. It, it really doesn't matter when you go. It's such a beautiful country. It has so much nature, right? So even if you go in the winter, you go into the Rockies, you go skiing, and it's just amazing. If you go in the summer, you can go to the coast, to Nova Scotia, and it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, the fall, the Indian fall is uh, is absolutely stunning. So it doesn't really matter when you go. I think it depends more what's the right kind of part of the country uh, during the year where to go to but uh, honestly my favorite part of, of canada is is probably the rockies and uh, so to be out west and to, to have that wilderness is something that we don't have in europe and so that definitely impressed me the most to close out this canada story two more questions the first one would be did you get into canadian food and if yes what is the stuff you miss most is it something like poutine for everybody who doesn't know that that is uh french fries with a brown sauce over it and secondly why did you leave canada 
Yeah, so interestingly, poutine is probably the, the only food which you would attribute to uh, to Canadian food. And so the cuisine there is so diverse. And I actually used to live in uh, Koreatown uh, in Toronto. So I really miss good Korean food. So bibimbap and all the good stuff. You, you can get it in Berlin, but it's not, a, it's not the same as sitting in like a Korean shack where all the Korean families eat. It's, uh, yeah, so the Korean food was really good in Toronto. Admittedly, I'm personally also a big fan of Indian food and there's also a big Indian community in Toronto. I think I would go for Indian food uh, the first few months of my time there. Absolutely. Yeah. Also great Indian food there. And so the, the reason why I left is I had a, if you will, a bucket list. And I said, I wanted to travel around the world uh, for one year before I turned 30. And so I basically, after four years, just quit my job and uh, I went traveling. And uh, this travel actually led me then to South America where uh, I did a bike trip from Santiago de Chile all the way to the south. And we, we basically biked for three months. And Uh, this is where where I get kind of the initial thoughts and the initial drive to actually start solar. So this one quitting my job in Canada, going traveling for a year, it gave me the freedom to really rethink what I wanted to do, and then then I think the next step was was solar. I'm a little bit curious uh, about this bike trip because I didn't know that before. How far did you go south? in Chile, really to like the most southern tip of um, South America. And how long, like in miles and kilometers, did you actually drive on your bicycle? Yeah, so we took us all together three months. So we, we, we flew to Santiago and it was a stupid idea in, in the first place from me and my buddy. And uh, so we, we bought bikes in Santiago and we had never done a bike trip before, right? So, and I'm not even a big biker. Even to today, uh, I'm not a big into bikes. And so we just flew down there, bought two bikes and then just started biking. And, uh, but what's, what's great about San, uh, Chile is the, the nature is just amazing. I always say Chile is like Norway but just on steroids it's incredible the nature and so while we we're biking and I think it total was somewhere around two and a half to three thousand kilometers so while we were biking uh, the, the three months, we were outside the entire town. So we camped outside. We just camped next to rivers. There were stretches of uh, two, three hundred kilometers where you wouldn't see a single person. And then uh, there's in three hundred kilometers. So there's a little town. You get some supplies, but then you have another two hundred kilometers where where there's nobody. And so being really remote and experiencing the nature, I realized how much nature is already hurting from climate change. Right. And, and that's where I decided for myself is that whatever I want to do, I want to dedicate my life to protecting the environment. And, and that was back then when I still thought, well, we need to protect the environment. We need to protect the earth. But actually, what we need to do is we need to protect us, right? Because the Earth is not going to care if we are going to be uh, extinct. The planet will survive. But really making an impact against climate change is something that started to ripe in my head uh, on that bike trip. And then you came back to Germany working again for a uh, solar cell company, I assume? Just a short stint and then you decided to actually go for solar. 
Yeah. So after finishing the bike trip, I got an opportunity to work on a large scale uh, solar farm in Chile. Because I was biking down there, I already was in Chile. So the company was, uh, it was actually a Korean company. And we had a German engineering team in Berlin. Uh, and we had people on the ground in Chile. And I was the project leader for a desert project. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this on TV, like these large scale solar farms in the desert. And we were uh, planning to build one in, in the northern Chile. And, and since I've, I've already been down there, that was kind of a fascinating uh, job to do. And I just said, okay, let, let's do this for six months and it was really exciting uh, to actually head such a large and complex project but one thing I realized and, and that's maybe uh, relevant to, to the audience here one thing I realized is that I'm certainly not a corporate person because it took me uh, I think half a day to actually get permission to go traveling or something like that and I thought well this this is stupid and so that's why I decided for myself okay I can't work in a corporate I, I need to find a different way to make an impact against climate change and that's uh, when uh, we started solar. Okay, you talked about we started solar, so it was not only you, who your co-founder is, and what was the idea you set out to realize with the company? Yeah. So my co-founder is Gregor. We, we knew each other from university. We actually lived together in university and he was also working in the solar industry, right? So we were both coming uh, from the solar industry. And the, the reason why we started in, and Greg and I, we, we always felt the same frustration about our current job. So when we built these big solar farms or when we built commercial solar projects, it was great because there was more solar energy on the planet. But at the same time, we realized that The people that live around these solar farms, they don't change their behavior. And if you really want to fight and solve climate change, it needs a human behavior change, right? So we need, as we as humans need to change the way we consume and the way we use energy. So that was the frustrating part of our jobs. And then we decided, well, we need to create a company that actually changes human behavior. And I'm a big fan. I don't believe in laws and I don't believe in that you don't let people do things. I'm a big believer in, in incentivizing and in putting positive things around stuff and then people actually do something. And so this is exactly the case with solar. So if you own a house and you put solar on your roof, you start saving 80% of your energy bill. So instead of forcing people to do it, let them understand that they can save a ton of money and they do something good for the environment. And that's a much better case to the consumer. And that, that was the founding idea of Tola. And how did it develop? Because you're running it for now almost six years. At the time we're going to publish this, likely in December, it is going to be almost six years. So can you take us a little bit along your journey and things you have discovered as an entrepreneur when you Uh, started to build up solar yeah absolutely so literally we started with an empty piece of paper and we tried to sketch out what we could do and back at the time there was you couldn't buy a solar system online and, and we asked ourselves well i can order basically anything on amazon but I can't order a solar system online. And, and that was kind of the founding kind of first hypothesis, if, if you will. Could we sell a system which costs you 20,000 euros? Could we sell this online to someone? And so 
And people looked at us and they're like, you're crazy. Like who purchases 20,000 euros online? Nobody does that, right? And that was our hypothesis. It was the challenge that we wanted to do. And so we just started to put a little MVP together. Then we did it. We mocked a couple of customer phone calls and, and we really tried to just sell it online. And uh, eventually we ended up building a an online configurator. So so similar to like a car configurator, which is still the, the, the heart of our sales and of our customers customer experience today. We built this online configurator, which allowed people to experience the solar product, to understand it, to play around with it, to calculate the savings. And uh, yeah, we just one step led to another and then you just started. So bottom line is people are buying from you solar installations worth tens of thousands of euros or US dollars for the very simple reason. First, you now have a track record. And secondly, you have a simulator on your website where people can actually have the experience of already owning this. Would that be the bottom line? Yeah, exactly. So if you own a house, a solar system, and when I say solar system, I also mean a battery attached to it, right? So it's, it's the solar panels on your roof and it's the batteries in your basement where you can store the solar energy. And bottom line is none of these people have ever bought a solar system before. All of our customers are first-time buyers. It's not, it's not like buying a car where you know what a car does. You have been sitting in the cars of your parents and when you get older and you buy your own car. This is a complete new product which you also don't really understand, right? Most people don't understand solar. There's a piece of metal sitting on my roof and, and magically it, it generates electricity, right? And so making this experience experienceable for consumers so that they understand, okay, wow, with this system, I'm 80% independent from the grid and I'm saving 30,000 euros over the lifetime of the system and my energy bill goes down to make this moment of realization. This is the key of our uh, digital online process. Are there any companies that do similar stuff like you guys are doing? Oh, there's definitely companies uh, out there now that either have a similar approach to what we're doing or uh, do it in a, in a different way. I think what has changed in the last uh, six years, uh, if you will, and, and it changed to in, in a good direction, is there's more urgency on climate protection, right? Um, and as we speak right now, there's the COP going on in Glasgow, and actually the world leaders uh, have agreed to ban fossil cars, uh, I believe, by 2030 or 2035. So, so the progress that we have made as humanities in the last six years in, in order to fight climate change are really significant. And But six years ago, the climate change was not a thing that people talked about, right? And so even putting solar on your roof was, was not a thing that people really did. This has completely changed. And, and, and I want to say that we have been contributed our part of, of that change. I see, I see, I see. Just one more question. How many people are working with solar as of now, early November 2021? Yeah, so our model that we have is we have 
people in our headquarter and that's basically people that do sales that do marketing uh, that do the system designs that do logistics that do uh, our partner management and then then we have people out in the field which are our installation partners and uh, these installation partners uh, which we control and work with digitally uh, they actually install the systems on the roof so and, and so our partner base are roughly I want to say 2,000 employees that are out in the field and install modules for us and then at the headquarter we have uh, roughly 300 people working for us and do you have any idea about the impact you're making in terms of for example reducing carbon emissions yeah, absolutely. So first of all, our mission is to put a solar system on, on every roof. So the way the future is going to look like is that we will have a massive electrification of the energy uh, that we use. So today, if, if, you, if you take a, any normal residential home, you have electricity in the home that you use for lights and your dishwasher, etc. You have uh, your commuting, so your car, which you fill up with gas, and you have your heat system, which is in Germany mainly based on natural gas. So all of these three things are currently powered by fossil fuels. This will completely change to renewables in the next couple of years. So what each household is going to do is they're going to put a solar system on their roof. They're going to buy an electric car, which they charge with the electricity from the solar system. They will buy a heat pump to generate the heat for the home and not use natural gas anymore. And for that heat pump, you can also use the solar electricity from the roof. And they will have a storage in the basement in order to have electricity also at night when the sun doesn't shine. So this is how the future of a home is going to look like. And what we do uh, essentially is we bring the carbon dioxide footprint of each home basically to zero. Can you talk about numbers? How many homes did you already help to get close to or to zero? Yeah, so what we do in the first place when when someone uh, signs up with us, the, the first initial step is to put the solar system on your roof. Th that's how we kind of anchor our consumers on that uh, climate journey. And so you put the solar system on your roof, all of a sudden you become from a consumer where you just use dirty crit energy, you become to a, what we call a prosumer, right? So all of a sudden you actually also produce energy which you can use yourself or you can sell it to the grid. And here's the interesting piece. The moment when people start producing their own energy and they store it in a battery and then they can use our app and, and actually see how much power they have produced today and how much they use themselves and how much money they have saved, all of a sudden their behavior changes. All of a sudden they understand that with renewable energy, from their home, they can be independent and then actually contribute to the fight against climate change. And then interesting things happen. Once they do that, they think about all the other stuff in their lives, right? So for example, heating. And once the heating system is up for renewal, they're not going to go natural gas anymore because they understood, well, wait a minute, I can produce my own electricity. I can run my heating on that electricity. Why should I continue to buy natural fossil gas? Let's just use the heating from the home. So far to answer your question, so far we've converted a couple of thousand homes and uh, we're planning to do 10,000 homes next year. But our ultimate goal is to, to go up to 100,000 homes a year uh, that we convert uh, to fossil free. 
100,000 homes a year, that's quite a number. I assume you cannot only do this within Germany, you have to target at least all of Europe? Well, in interestingly, so I would say Germany is probably the most advanced country in, in solar deployment per capita. Interestingly, we have 16 million residential homes and only 1.8 million have a solar system so far. So there's still 14 million homes where we can put solar on. And so it, it would actually take us uh, 140 years to, well, if we did 100,000 homes a year, it would take us 140 years to actually put all of Germany with solar systems. So the market potential and the market change is so tremendous that even if we just focused on Germany, it would take us quite some time. I see, see. Well, then you always have the option to uh, target, let's say, 500,000 homes a year. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is a simple, climate change is a very simple problem, right? So we just have to stop burning fossil fuels, right? Because fossil fuels is stuff that's in the ground that we're pulling out and we burn it and we're wondering that it gets hotter. Well, Due to the fossil in the ground, this planet has become habitable in the first place, right? So all we need to do, and that's the interesting piece, all we need to do is change our energy back to the sun because the human species is the only species on this planet that doesn't live off the daily sunlight. All we need to do is change it back to the daily sunlight and we're good to go. Very simple problem, very simple solution. Talking about solution for problems, maybe not the easy ones. I tend to always ask my guests here about their philosophy as an entrepreneur, because I learned over time that many of them kind of developing their own rules, not necessarily like Gibbs, but also the same in the same way that they have some at least heuristics they are adhering to. Do you have a few rules you could share with our audience stuff you have learned over time being an entrepreneur? Uh, absolutely. So I think the most crucial, and I'm not sure if it's a rule, but maybe a learning, the most crucial learning I had is as a founder, you always need to learn faster than your organization, right? So if, if you're two people sitting in a room, this is a different dynamic than running a 300 people company. And it's a different dynamic when you, when you run a 10,000 people company. So when you start a company, the person you are today is not the person you're going to be in five years or in 10 years, right? So you need to learn. You need to be open for change. You need to be open to always be outside of your comfort zone in order to develop. And in order to be that, I think there's two main character traits. And one is you have to be nimble. You have to be humble, right? And the second one is you need to be desperate for feedback, right? Uh, because only with feedback you can grow, you can learn, you can develop, you can you can get great ideas. So I guess that has been, I wouldn't say this, this is a rule or a paradigm, but that's a strong learning that I had, especially in the beginning, which uh, I would recommend for, for any entrepreneur to follow. I think as a rule, the most important thing is you need to know your why. Why did you start the company? Why do you do this? Why do you want to be successful? Why do you want to do this, this, and this? And if the answer is money, then you're not doing the right thing. Money is a side effect of the thing you do. 
But the really the why is the thing that keeps you going for six years. And, and I can tell you, Joe, there's been days where I just want to jump out of the window and just not do this anymore. And I'm frustrated because things don't work and things is not going the way. It's, it's, a, it's a roller coaster going up and down. And if you don't have your why straight, why you do this, you will break. And I think this, this separates the good founders and the great entrepreneurs from the, the mediocre ones that the good ones actually have their wise trade. I see, 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 see. I would, since you are, or you're likely using this in recruiting for the people preparing for the first interview, can you tell us a little bit about how you hired the very first crucial hires, meaning you build up a team. And first, of course, you hire people you know, but the first few people you don't know prior to the interview, they are crucial to make or break your startup. So how did you hire the people and what could people learn from it? Maybe even the ones going to interview with you guys. Yeah. So I think, and Joe, we talked about this just before the podcast a little bit. So the first, the hiring your first 10 people is, and managing them is easy, right? But what most people underestimate is the first 10 or 20 people really define your culture. They become the bone. They become the DNA. They become the ambassadors of who you are and why you do the things you do. So I believe the first 10 or 20 employees are crucial in order to build the culture because only a culture will create a great company that can be successful in the long run. And there's this beautiful saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think this is, this is so true that especially in the beginning, strategy changes, the market changes, the product changes but one thing that doesn't change is the culture and so when you build up when you start a company it's so crucial to define your own culture uh, which makes you unique and that, that gives an answer to people why they should work for you and so i think that's something i certainly didn't know when we started the company and uh, something that i didn't purposely design, but we were lucky to have a great cause uh, that we're working for. And the cause that we're working for is to really create a future that is clean, to create, to have an impact against climate change. And, and that is a, a why, which is the central element of our culture. And whenever we interview people, it's something we really check very hard against if they actually want to contribute to our mission or do they want to just have another job and so if they just want to have another job we're not the right company but if they say they really want to contribute to something bigger themselves and want to leave a footprint on the world then we have the right job for them actually there's nothing i would to add here i would just say alex Thank you very much. It was a great interview. I was not sure if it would turn out to be that great because your CV is a little bit empty, but it turns out a very interesting conversation. So thank you very much for being such a great and patient guest here. Thank you, Joe. Have a great day. Bye-bye.